copy of God's Word to Luke's Gospel, the fifth chapter, as we continue in our study of God's Word this morning. Uh, if you've been with us in uh, recent weeks or over the last couple months, really, as we've been walking through uh, Luke chapter 4, and you know that in chapter 4, Luke really addresses the authority of Jesus. And we see Satan rejecting or really questioning the authority as he rejects it. In the temptation account, we see then uh, Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth, where uh, there's really not a question at that point. The people just reject Jesus. They reject his authority. But Luke makes it clear as he presents to us in the latter part of chapter 4 that Jesus clearly has authority, all authority on heaven and on earth. And in fact, his authority is seen by many as he preaches and has authority over the word as he cast out demons and has authority over the demonic realm as he heals the sick and has authority over even the body, over all things. The question for us as we come to Luke's gospel is, are we recognizing the authority of Jesus in our lives today? Is Jesus supreme in your life and in my life? That is the question for us as we continue our study now and turn into the fifth chapter of Luke, where now Luke will take us through account after account in his narrative of this authority being played out in the life and ministry of Jesus. And we see it here today in his authority over nature, his authority over the the fish of the sea, his authority over you and I, his authority to call us to follow him, as we see him calling Peter and others to follow him in this passage. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and out of reverence for God's word, I want to invite you to stand as I read today's passage for us. We stand because God has all authority, and this is his authoritative word. And this is what his word says. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing on him, pressing on Jesus, to hear the word of God, He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. For now on you will be catching men. When he had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You would pray with me. Father, we stand 
in this moment today that we just sang about, this moment where we we look for your church to be built. We long for the earth to be filled with your glory. And one day those things will come to fruition. But between this day and that, in this world with devils filled, we are surrounded by doubt, unbelief, wickedness, and sin. And it is in this wicked world that you have called us to follow Christ. So help us, Lord, to see what that means, what that entails today as we consider this account of Peter being given that challenge, James and John and others being given that challenge, and we today being given that challenge to truly and wholly follow Jesus. We ask that you would help us to understand these things, to obey your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You may have seen, as I did in the news this week, uh, a story related to a, a 20-year-old gymnast at Louisiana State University. Her name's Olivia Dunn, and she made the news because in this new world of name, image, and likeness and, and payments for college athletes, sponsorships, uh, she is now the, the highest-grossing female college athlete in the nation largely in part due to her influence on social media. She has 6.7 million followers on one social media outlet alone. 6.7 million. Now, just to put that number in perspective, only 17 of the 52 states in our nation have more than 6.7 million people in them. (laughs) We have about 4.5 million here in Kentucky. 6.7 million people who follow this gymnast. You see, following in 2023 has become a kind of a casual experience. It's the click of a button. It's finding something that we're maybe casually interested in online or something that maybe we have more than a casual interest for. And so we we, we click on a like, on a little heart symbol, and a little thumbs up emoji and And then we're a follower of this event or this person or this sport. And you see this invitation all over the place. You go to see a movie and you'll have on the screen an advertisement before the movie starts. You can follow us here. You can find it on the back of your church bulletin. (laughs) And you want to follow us, go here. This is what we often speak of in our context and culture today when it comes to following someone or something. And so it's important that we stop to consider what it truly means to follow Jesus, because that's altogether different than what so much of following is today in our culture. And it's what we see detailed here in Luke's gospel, the fifth chapter, as we come to this place where you may have a a heading in your scripture that talks about Jesus calling his first disciples, or the the first to follow Jesus, or where we just read in verse 11 that these men, they left everything in order to follow Christ. More than a casual clicking of a button. (laughs) They literally left everything behind. 
And so what would lead them to do this? What would lead us today to do this? To do more than express a casual interest, but to lay down our lives, follow Jesus. Well, that's what I want us to consider as we walk through the fifth chapter of Luke today. And so to do that, we're going to look at three things that we see in this passage that that a follower of Jesus must do. In fact, what we must do in order to follow Jesus. We'll begin with the first one there in your outline. Number one is this. A, a follower of Jesus begins by hearing the word. That they hear the word. Now we have this distinction that we've come to in our context today where we seem to differentiate between listening and hearing. If you've ever been in a conversation about those two things, it might have gone something like this. Well, well I know you heard me but I don't think you're listening to me. What we think of hearing is simply kind of absorbing sounds and information, but as listening to really processing those noises and sounds, of intently concentrating on what it is we're hearing, where we're really listening, we're hanging on words, we want to understand them. Oftentimes we'll try to clear out other noises if we really want to listen to something. And so in my house, what this looks like is when there's a storm coming and the weatherman's on the TV and there's 50 other things going on, I'll ask, hey, just quiet down for a second. I really want to listen to this. I want to hear this. I want to understand what they're saying. We take these two words sometimes and we make a differentiation, but in the culture, the context, the language here in Luke chapter 5, there's no distinction between these words. To hear was to listen, to listen was to hear. And what's going on in this passage, Luke tells us, is that there are people, he says, a crowd pressing on Jesus in order to hear the word of God. That they want to clear out everything else. That they want to hear what he has to say. Luke tells us this takes place at the body of water there in Galilee that's known to us by a number of names, really depending on what part you were talking about of it. We see it referred to as the Sea of Galilee, or the Sea of Tiberias, and here Luke says it's the Lake of Gennesaret, but they're all the same body of water, about 13 miles long, about 8 miles wide. This body of water was surrounded by uh, no less than nine major townships in Jesus' day, at least 15,000 people. It was heavily populated because in this body of water, there were fish. <laughs> and these fish were the, the, the way that people fed their families. They were the way that they took care of their families. And so we see here that Peter and others, they were fishermen. This wasn't just a, a casual Saturday afternoon, let's just go out to the lake and go fishing. This was work. This was a all day and at times all night activity where they would go out on the lake and they would put down these large and heavy nets in order to catch schools of fish, to take those fish home, to feed their families, to take to the market to sell in order to take care of those around them. This is what they did day in and day out. But at this time, and on this occasion, Luke tells us, the people have come down to the water to do more than fish. They've, they've heard about the ministry of Jesus. 
the, the preacher, Jesus, that they want to hear. And so they are literally pressing in to the extent that Jesus needs to kind of pull away from them so that he can speak to this crowd that's gathered. And so the scene here is that Peter and these others, they, they've spent the whole night fishing. This is really the end of their work day. They are cleaning all their tackle, all their gear. They're storing it back in the boats because they're going to go home and go to bed. But that plan's interrupted by Jesus and this crowd that's formed. And so Jesus goes to Simon Peter. He gets in his boat. He instructs him to just pull it out a little bit from the shore so that he can preach to this crowd. Now, I've preached in a number of environments. I've preached under uh, trees in Africa, preached here from this pulpit and others. I've never preached from a fishing boat, but I'd like to try that sometime. <laughs> and that's what Jesus is doing here. And the reason that he pulls away in that boat, that the reason this crowd is there because they want to hear Jesus. They're not just walking by and noticing a spectacle, know that they're pressing in because they want to hear the word of God. Philip Ryken says it this way, this is the context in which discipleship always begins. Because in order to follow Jesus, we must hear what he says. In order to follow Jesus, we must hear what he says. This is where discipleship begins, and it begins with an understanding that everything we read in the Word of God is the Word of God. It's the Word of our triune God. That there's not a distinction that we make. Well, well, you know, Jesus said this, and somebody else said that. No, this is the Word. Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. He was with God in the beginning. The Word then became flesh and dwelt among us. We see from beginning to end, this is the Word of God. Therefore, we must listen to, from beginning to end, the Word of God. We're not to pick and choose. We're not to selectively go through and say, "Well, well, I like this part, I'll listen to that. That there's no exceptions here, no exemptions from beginning to end. This is the word. So I would read in 2 Timothy 3 that all scripture, not some, not just red letters, your Bible's arranged that way, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So you want to follow Jesus? You want to become a Christ follower? Then it begins with recognizing the authority of the word and listening to the word and the word reigning supreme in your life and in mine. It means it's the word of God that calls the shots, not us. It's the word of God that dictates how we live and what we believe. It is the word of God that guides and instructs and rebukes and corrects and admonishes. And it is this word that the people were, were pressing in to hear. Now, remember, 
Luke here. Luke is the, the researcher. Luke is the doctor. Luke is the one who had gone to great lengths to compile this narrative through eyewitness testimony. And so Luke, in this account, he gives us uh, so much more detail than the other gospel writers. Uh, you can find Jesus calling the first disciples. You can find uh, Peter following Jesus and the other three gospels. But it's here that we get really the, the full account of what's taking place. The, the details. And it's from those details that we then see the second point there in your outline of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Point two, we see a follower of Jesus not only hears the word, but a follower of Jesus obeys the word. They obey the word. And this is what we see in this passage, especially in reference to Simon Peter. So Jesus gets into Peter's boat. He, he moves away there from the shore. Luke tells us here that Jesus then preaches. Again, we don't have the sermon. We don't have everything he says. We have what takes place after he's done preaching. Because after he's done preaching, he, he turns there to Peter and he says to Peter, Now, Peter, I, I want you to move the boat back further. I want us to go out there into deeper water and I want you to put down your nets. Now, just think about this for a moment. Peter's the fisherman. Jesus is the carpenter. Peter likely has spent his whole life fishing. Probably his father before him was a fisherman, and his father's father before him, this boat has probably been in his family for some time. He, he probably done this for quite a while, and he was a fisherman. He knew how to fish. And he had spent the whole night fishing. And in fact, he had fished to the extent all through the night that now it was time to go home because they had caught nothing. Peter knew fishing. Jesus knew carpentry. Jesus knew preaching. Now, Peter had been exposed to the preaching of Jesus. In fact, the way Luke arranged his gospel, it shows us that he had seen the healing and miraculous work of Jesus. But, but now this was in Peter's area of expertise. That this was literally at his workplace, on his job. He knew fishing. And now Jesus, the preacher and the carpenter, is essentially telling Peter how he needs to fish. And the more you dig into this, the more you realize he's not really giving him great fishing advice. <laughs> in Peter's day in this context there at the Sea of Galilee, uh, fishermen had, like we do today, different types of gear for different types of fishing. And so if they were fishing through the night, they had much heavier and thicker nets. The nets that would be highly visible during the day, but weren't so visible at night. And this was so they could put down those nets, just leave those nets out and gather a great amount of fish in these nets. If they were going to fish in the daytime, they'd use altogether different nets made of different material that were far less visible to the fish. And even if they were going to fish in the daytime, they wouldn't fish at high noon in the middle of the daytime because that's not when they normally would catch fish. But now Jesus says to the fishermen, I want you to fish at the wrong time with the wrong gear. I mean, this is the equivalent of Jesus saying to Peter, uh, if you just put a couple buckets in the water, the fish are just going to swim into the buckets. <laughs> And so Peter's response to what Jesus tells him to do, well, I don't know that it's all that enthusiastic. 
because he's telling him to do the wrong thing, according to a, a fisherman. You know, my dad was a fisherman. I fished, but my dad was a fisherman. Hey, he spent most of his life on some body of water fishing, and I would say he, he was a master at it. He could tell you based on the conditions, the, the temperature, how cloudy or sunny it was, exactly what type of line and what type of bait, and he pretty much could catch fish when nobody else could catch fish. Because he was a master at the craft, he just knew how to do it. I can remember so many times as a child being with my dad and going up to a fishing spot. There's several people there. And How's the fishing? Well, we haven't caught anything all day. And then I'd just see that little grin on my dad's face. <laughs> and he put together just the, the, the perfect setup. And he cast out that line and he'd catch fish. And he'd catch another fish. And he'd catch another fish. Now, if you've fished, if you're a fisherman, you know that when somebody shows up and they start catching fish where you haven't caught fish all day, you usually don't applaud that. <laughs> you might have some ill words to say about that. Well, my dad, he, he just knew how to interact with folks and he was gracious and he would catch fish and he would go over in such a humble way and show them what they could do and how they could change their setup and then they do it and then they catch fish. Because when you're really good at fishing, you know how to do that. And I think the context here is that, that Peter's probably really good at fishing. That this is his livelihood. This is what he spent his whole life doing. And so we have every reason to think that Peter hears this instruction from Jesus and he's probably thinking, this isn't going to work. <laughs> and so when we read here Peter's response, of master, we've toiled all day and took nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. I don't think that's Peter saying, well, we're going to do this and we're going to fill up those nets and we just have faith that we're going to catch so many more fish now. I think the likelihood is that Peter here is recognizing the authority of Jesus the authority that's already been witnessed of Jesus over the demonic realm, the authority over sickness, certainly the authority over the word as he's just been preaching the word and people are gathered to hear the word. And I think Jesus, uh, Peter here, although he doesn't quite fully understand it, he understands that Jesus has authority. And so his response then to Jesus, I think when he says, but, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. I think it's probably along the lines of how J.B. Phillips translates this. But if you say so, Jesus. I've exhausted my resources. I mean, chances are Peter had fished in that same spot night after night after night, caught fish night after night after night, taking fish to the market the next day, fed his family the next day. But in this case, he did everything he normally did and he caught nothing. And now Jesus says, okay, use the wrong stuff at the wrong time and put it down to, to catch fish. Not just go fishing, but, but go catching. And I think the context here is Peter says, okay, if you say so, Jesus. You know, as a child, I can remember at times my father telling me to do something and me questioning why. And his response being, because I said so. <laughs> and some of you in this room are, are children or students, and you're thinking, you know, my parents say that all the time, and it bugs me. And we kind of view it 
from the child end as, well, they don't really know why, so they just say that. And then something really amazing happens to us, doesn't it? Because for many of us, then we become parents. And we get into that scenario where our child then says to us, why, why, why? And we say, because I said so. Not just because we've graduated to this opportunity to say those words, but often we have good reason. But the only reason we need to give is that. And I think here that this isn't some smug response or some you know, challenge with authority. I think Peter here is recognizing fully that Jesus has authority. And all he needs is his word, and he gives his word. And so he says, okay, because you say so, I'll do this, Jesus. I don't know that he has great faith, but he obeys. And then Luke tells us, verse 6, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. These nighttime nets, these, these thick nets made to, to hold an enormous amount of fish, they are starting to break. And so Peter and those in his boat, they signal their partners, James and John and others, and their boat, they come to help them and they fill both their boats. And then notice what happens. The boats are starting to sink. These are fishing boats. These are boats made to hold fish. But I think what Luke's helping us to see is that this is completely unnatural. <laughs> that this is not what anyone was prepared for. Now, I was thinking about it from a scene from one of my favorite movies, Jaws. If you've never seen Jaws, then you've just never seen the best movie of all time. All movies today are trash. Jaws is the best. And, and there's this scene, if you remember Jaws, which, you know, go home and watch it. There's this scene where, you know, that they, they, they get harpooned into this, this mighty shark and they put another harpoon into them. There's barrels and they've tied them to the back of the orca and, and they're going to drag that fish into the shore. Nope. That fish starts to drag them out to sea, and as it does, all of this water starts coming in the boat. The fish is going to sink the boat. They're scrambling and take a machete and just have to cut the lines because this was unnatural. That this fish was enormous. It's never going to fit in the orca. What Luke's describing here is it's unnatural. This this wasn't just a good catch. I, I read. One account this week, and it was so terrible. It was an account of this, and the person said that, you know, Jesus just had eyes that other people didn't have, and so he could see where the fish were. It's as if he were the master fish finder, and, and he just knew exactly where to tell Peter to put those nets down just to catch those fish. I thought, why did you even write this? This is garbage. That's not what's happening here, friends. This This is... Outside of nature, this is the miraculous work of the one who has authority over the word, over demons, over sickness, over the fish of the sea. This is God in flesh. And Peter doesn't respond by saying, well, we need to take Jesus fishing with us every week now, don't we? 
In fact, Jesus, we've got a great business opportunity for you. Why, why don't you join up with my fishing company? We'll do very well. Now, Peter recognizes what has happened. And Luke says it this way, verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. I mean, this, this, this could have been perhaps Peter recognizing his, his lack of faith when Jesus had put down the nets and, and now he realizes that Jesus was right and he was wrong. Carpenter knew more than fishermen about fishing. And, and so he, he's humbled here, but I think it's a whole lot more than that. I think it's what we read earlier from Isaiah 6. That when Isaiah is exposed to the holy, righteous authority of the almighty God. That that exposure, that, that light is so bright. It breaks into the crevice of everywhere there has been darkness. And his sin is exposed. And that's why Isaiah says, I, I am a man of unclean lips. I am surrounded by people of unclean lips. But the spotlight of the holiness of God exposes his sin. Job had much the same experience in Job 42 where he says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know Job's story. You know what a statement that is. That's what John writes in the book of Revelation where he says of the Lord, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Friends, this is the right response to the holy and righteousness of God. Simon Peter here hears Jesus he obeys Jesus, perhaps reluctantly, but he obeys him. No statement of what great faith he has, probably a little bit of faith here. But he obeys him nonetheless, and he sees the authority of Jesus over nature in such a way that he is overwhelmed and convicted of his sin and feels unworthy to be in Jesus' presence. Jesus says to Peter, cast down your nets. Peter obeys. Peter says to Jesus, depart from me. Jesus doesn't obey Peter. <laughs> In fact, look at the grace and the mercy he shows Peter. And he then invites Peter to come closer to him. <laughs> Peter here is so convicted of his sin. He's like, I need to get away from Jesus. But what does Jesus do? In this crowd that had been pressing in on Jesus, now Jesus presses in on Peter. And the compassion and the mercy and grace of God is evident here in Peter's life as he is pressed in on by the king of all kings who has all authority on heaven and on earth. And not only does he press in on him, he, he offers him an invitation to follow him and to cast out a different kind of net. That brings us to the third and final point there of what a follower of Jesus does. Number three, a follower of Jesus shares the word. 
So if you want to follow Jesus, you've got to, you've got to hear, you've got to listen to the word, you've got to obey the word, and then you've got to share the word. Luke tells Peter, along with his fishing partners here, Luke mentions James and John, other gospel writers tell us there were others there. And he tells them from that day forward, when they leave everything behind, that they're going to do a different type of fishing. They're going to cast a different kind of net. Verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And with that statement, the trajectory of Peter's life is radically changed. Something I found interesting in my study is that that word catching is really put two words put together. It's the verb to catch and a word that means to life. And so what it, what it translates as is you're going to be catching men to life. And you think about that for Peter. I mean, Peter was a fisherman. Fishermen catch living things and kill them. <laughs> you know. you know, maybe you catch and release. That's unnatural. You, know, you catch and you, you eat it. That's what Peter did. He'd catch living fish, he'd kill them and eat them. He'd catch living fish, he'd kill them and sell them. And now Jesus says, well, you're going to do a whole different kind of fishing. Because you're not going to catch to death. You're going to catch in such a way that leads to life. Well, that's the work of the gospel, isn't it? We, as ambassadors of Christ, have the unique opportunity to to speak the truth of God's world to a dead and dying world that they might live. It's a whole different kind of fishing. And you notice here, though, that the lesson applies. It's a lesson of obedience. It's a lesson just to cast out our nets and to completely trust in God for the results. We don't have to have the perfect net and the perfect strategy. Peter certainly didn't when it came to catching fish here, and there's a point to be made there. It's a point of faith, it's a point of obedience, of trusting in God, not in ourselves. I mean, Peter spent all night trusting in himself, he caught nothing. But at the word of Jesus, his nets were full. It's a statement about the sovereignty of God, I think, especially when it comes to catching men. Of listening to the master fisherman. And it's the call, I believe, friends, of every follower of Jesus. We're all called to put down our nets, wherever may, we may be. To, to cast out our nets among our friends and our family, in our classroom, on our sports teams. With those who perhaps we feel have done everything in their power to swim around everybody else's nets and get away from those nets. <laughs> those who have no interest in being caught. Jesus calls us to obey. To cast out our nets. To leave the results to him. That's what it means to share the word. I read the account this week that I'll leave you with of a 70-year-old woman in Australia who came to faith in Christ at 70 years old, late in her life. She was overwhelmed by the grace of God that would save her at the age of 70. And so soon after coming to faith, she went to her pastor and said, Pastor, I I feel like God wants me to do something to reach other people with the gospel. I don't know what it is. And so the pastor said what pastors often say, well, go home and pray about it. <laughs> and so she went home and prayed about it. And through her prayer, she felt like the Lord was leading her specifically to minister to 
international college students at a nearby campus, the university there in Melbourne. And so as she prayed and thought about it, she took a stack of cards and she wrote this on the cards. Are you homesick? Come by my home for tea at 4 p.m. Now, I'm sure some expert ministers and evangelists might have looked at that particular tackle and bait and thought, well, that's not going to do much. That's what God led her to do. And so she took these cards that simply just said, are you homesick? Come by my home for tea at four o'clock and had her address on it. And she began to take them around the campus. She put them up on any bulletin board she could find. She laid them out on tables in the lunchroom. And and then she went home excited to see what was going to happen at four o'clock the next day. And at four o'clock the next day, she made tea and she prepared a place and had all types of snacks and things for students. And nobody came. She was disappointed, but she thought, well, you know, maybe tomorrow. And so the next day, four o'clock comes around. She makes her tea. She makes all her treats and has them all laid out. Her front door's open. She waits and no one came. But she really felt this is this is what the Lord was leading her to do. And so day after day, week after week, she put out that net. And then a few weeks went by and a student knocked on her door a little after four one afternoon from Indonesia. He appeared very nervous, not knowing what he was going to find on the other side of that door. But when he saw this little old lady holding tea and a a plate of biscuits, (laughs) his, his fear dropped and he came in and he was homesick. He missed his family terribly, began to talk to her. He was so comforted by that conversation. He immediately went back to campus and began to tell his friends and other students, you won't believe this woman I met. She had the best tea and she gave me all this food and she was just like my grandmother. (laughs) Other students heard about this. They began to go with him to her home and soon they realized they were thirsty for something more than tea. As she communicated to them the gospel of Jesus that had changed her life. The gospel of Jesus she felt compelled to share with these students who were literally from every corner of the globe. And by God's grace, many of these students became Christians. She passed away 10 years later and they nearly had to shut the university down that day. She had over 70 honorary pallbearers and literally hundreds upon hundreds Thousands upon thousands of students came to pay their respects to this woman that had listened to them, that had fed them, and more importantly, had shared the gospel with them. Students from India and Malaysia and Indonesia, literally every corner of the globe, who came to faith through the witness of this woman who cast out her nets. That's what God's called us to do. Right there where you are, where I am, in whatever way it might be, just to put out those nets, to tell others about the master fisherman who caught me and who's caught so many of you that they too might know the good news of the gospel. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Have you been caught by him this morning? Are you willing to share this good news with others? Let's consider these things as we pray and as we respond now to God's word. If you would stand together and pray with me.